You're going to love this. Just love it. I don't know. I just don't know. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Out in Hawaii, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, all-around likable chap, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. And we have a bit of a mystery today, a bit of a a mystery show that has been going on for a, a while. And today we have a solution to that mystery and an explanation, sort of, for that mystery. We'll get to that in a moment. But by way of setting some of it up, let me uh, let me share with you this story out of Ohio. A veteran newspaper reporter who was promoted to editor of Bowling Green, Ohio's daily newspaper in 2013 was fired on Monday for insubordination after allowing staffers at the Bowling Green Sentinel Tribune to read an editorial that she wrote as was her normal practice. This editorial was about the National Rifle Association and responsible gun ownership. The Toledo Blade newspaper reported this week, obviously out of Toledo, Ohio, reporting on what's going on next door in Bowling Green at the Bowling Green Sentinel Tribune, where the editor of that paper was fired. Jan Larson McLaughlin, or McLaughlin, Jan Larson McLaughlin told The Blade that she didn't, uh, the Toledo Blade, that she didn't think she was fired for writing the editorial, but for attempting to talk with publisher Carmen Concanon about how to proceed after Concanon rejected her editorial. Uh, McLaughlin, the editor, said it's or the former editor now said it's a ridiculous reason to get rid of someone who has been there for 31 years, 31 years. She has been at the paper. She said, I truly love the Sentinel Tribune, and it's just very sad to me to see what's happening to it, that it's being chipped away at, particularly in the newsroom. 
She said, I knew that the particular editorial, the one about the NRA, uh, was dead, but I needed to know how to proceed from there, McLaughlin told the Toledo Blade. She said, I needed some direction. She, Concanon, the publisher of the uh, newspaper, of, of the uh, Bowling Green Sentinel Tribune, uh, the publisher and the VP of that paper, she refused to talk to me after the editorial. She said, the newsroom was standing behind me. Uh, the newsroom standing behind me was just the last straw of me constantly pushing to be a better newspaper, to be who we are supposedly supposed to be in the community. Ms. Concanon, the publisher whose parents, Thomas and Catherine Haswell, own the daily newspaper in, uh, in Bowling Green, did not return the Blade's call seeking comment. So the publisher spikes this uh, editorial about the NRA. The publisher, uh, whose parents uh, purchased the paper, whose parents are the owner of the paper, uh, and then they go and fire the editor who has been there for more than 30 years, fire her because she had the temerity to show the rejected NRA editorial to everyone else in the newsroom and say, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? The unpublished editorial was obtained by the Toledo Blade. It urged, it urged gun owners not to let the powerful lobbying arm of the NRA continue to control gun policy in America. It said, quote, the NRA has not always been the paranoid pry the gun from my cold, dead hands organization that it is now. It was formerly an association aimed at serving its membership by providing safety classes, marksmanship training and even gun control support. But somewhere it got hijacked from its real purpose to its fanatical presence. It's time for reasonable gun owners to say enough is enough. So nothing particularly controversial or at least nothing particularly untrue about this editorial. But the publisher, who is the daughter of the owners of this newspaper, spiked the editorial and then fired the editor who had been there for more than 30 years for daring to talk about it. All of that, I share that with you. That was uh, that was this week that happened. Uh, very troubling in Ohio. But uh, a similar situation appears to be developing in Nevada at the uh, at the state's largest newspaper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, where we had we've had a mystery over the past week about who it was who secretly purchased that Nevada paper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, for way too much money. By the way, one week ago, they paid one hundred and forty million dollars for the paper. It's a, a, about forty million dollars more then was spent to buy the same paper just uh, months earlier this year. This is a very d uh, disturbing uh, development, frankly, in a state like Nevada, which plays a key role in both of the presidential nominating processes, much less the general election, where it's uh, notoriously a swing state. It's the third state uh, for Democrats in their uh, primary cycle in 2016 after Iowa and New Hampshire. It's the fourth state for Republicans. But the mystery of who secretly purchased that paper is now solved. And the answer to that mystery is frankly quite disturbing. So I'm going to be joined by Salvatore Calalori of Media Matters for America to discuss that shortly to reveal <laughs> the secret owner of that paper. Uh, and why it's, uh, frankly, quite troubling. We'll be discussing that shortly. Also, uh, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be here. Hi, Desi. Hello. Um, 
Oh, your microphone's off. You want to try that again? Yeah, that's really helpful. Some, <laughs> some, some producer you are. Hi, Desi. We, I'm uh, good. Uh, she will be, you'll be back with us in a bit about uh, is it discuss the uh, with the Green News Report to discuss the Tuesday debate in Las Vegas, uh, where they just decided what was it a national security debate, and yet they decided a national security and foreign policy, and yet CNN did not ask one question concerning the climate change treaty. That was struck just three days earlier, the largest uh, treaty ever. Uh, uh, pretty uh, much the in most history. comprehensive treaty ever reached, I think, uh, probably only uh, the, rivaling the Geneva Conventions. Uh, but yeah, sort of a global international treaty, 150 world leaders. Yeah, why would you want well, to Well, 150 about world that? leaders, but almost 200 countries are a party to this agreement. This is quite huge. And yet, and obviously it has to do with national security, foreign relations. CNN uh, didn't bring it up, even though it happened just three days earlier, which is kind of amazing to me. Also, uh, in our Green News report coming up with Desi Doyen later in the show, uh, November is now the, I think it's the seven month in a row to smash heat records across the globe. Yeah, yeah. yeah just that. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Also, don't ask about that climate change agreement at the uh, GOP debate. Man, uh, unbelievable! And now, uh, 2015 on track to be the hottest record in uh, hottest uh, year on record globally, following 2014, that was the previous hottest. So there you go. Also, uh, the Democrats have now made a deal with Republicans to resume oil exports that haven't. We ha U.S. has not exported oil for crude oil, crude oil for decades. Uh, so what did the Democrats get in return? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Dun, dun, dun. To our Green News report. All yes. of that and more is ahead. There was a couple of, before we get to um, uh, Sal Kalalori, there was a couple of uh, items that we did not get to uh, specifically that I wanted to hit uh, from the uh, GOP debate this week. Uh, we'll see if I can get to a few of them here before we have to take a break and get to Sal. But uh, one of them uh, concerned Hugh Hewitt. He's the right wing uh, radio talk show host on on Salem uh, Radio, which is a huge right wing outlet that owns a whole bunch of radio stations. Yes, our public airwaves. They own the leases on those and they allow only right wing points of view. Uh, one of them being Hugh Hewitt's. Uh, that's all that's heard. 24-7 wing nuttery around the clock on uh, on Salem's uh, uh, chain of radio stations. So uh, I didn't get to talk about this uh, yesterday, but specifically uh, the question that was asked to Donald Trump uh, about would he promise to keep his pledge to not run as an independent. It was asked by Hugh Hewitt, who was allowed to ask questions in this CNN debate. Uh, this man, uh, who is, I guess, regarded as a journalist, at least by CNN, who asked him to uh, come along and, and ask questions of the Republican candidates in Las Vegas on Tuesday. CNN was partnering with Salem Media in this. And uh, when he asked the question of Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Trump said, yeah, I, 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 yes, I'm not going to run as an independent. I finally pledged that. And Hugh Hewitt actually applauded. He said, oh, I'm going to applaud that. And he was actually clapping, which is just amazing. Just amazing uh, 
that that would happen uh, as Ed Schultz, who now uh, has a, uh, I think it's just a podcast at WeGotEd.com. He's no longer on MSNBC uh, or on the radio. He used to be on the radio, and by way of uh, transparency, full disclosure here, uh, I have guest hosted uh, the Ed Schultz show back when he had a, his uh, his uh, three hour nationally syndicated show. In any event, he now puts out a podcast news and commentary, and he commented on this uh, on this situation uh, with Hugh Hewitt and Donald Trump on his podcast today. Watching the debate the other night, um, I, I've noticed that uh, I like to watch the moderators. I like to listen to the questions. And uh, you'll notice that CNN has partnered with the Salem Radio Network to do these debates. And one of the moderators is a right-wing hack. He thinks he's a journalist. He isn't. And that's Hugh Hewitt. And who is the Salem Radio Network? Well, the Salem Radio Network is just 24-7 filled with right-wing garbage. They hate liberals. They have beaten up Obama unmercifully. And, of course, they hate Hillary Clinton. So CNN, I don't know why they feel like they have to partner with a right-wing network. Uh, They never partnered with Air America on anything. And so now it's CNN and the Salem Radio Networks are bringing you these debates on CNN. And, oh, by the way, one of our moderators asking the questions tonight is Hugh Hewitt. Jeff Zucker, who's your liberal counterpart to this? Uh, who's Who's your liberal hack up there asking the questions? Why is it that nobody from our side gets an opportunity to do something like that? I don't need the job and I don't want it. There's other things in the works, of course. But the point here is, is that Bernie Sanders for a long time has complained about the corporate media. And CNN is supposed to be this middle of the road, this journalistic engine in American news. Really? What are you partnering with the Salem Radio Network for? And what the hell is Hugh Hewitt doing clapping, clapping? Like that, when Donald Trump says that he's not going to run as an independent. Here's the exchange. Are you ready to reassure Republicans tonight that you will run as a Republican and abide by the decision of the Republicans? I really am. I'll be honest. I really am. I mean, people have been putting me the question. I really am. I could have won. Dr. Carson. I, I would love to have the opportunity to be on CNN, I guess. So I could clap when Bernie Sanders rips him a new one for not giving fair coverage in the corporate media just selling out to Trump and to Hillary. I mean, wouldn't that be entertaining? You know, uh, it's don't give me this garbage that the media is fair, even CNN. There is a right wing bent in the corporate media all across the board. And you're not going to see any liberals asking any questions or being propped up the way Hugh Hewitt is being propped up. No, you absolutely are not going to see that. And if you did see it, the uh, right wing would throw a conniption fit uh, if that ever dared happen. If you ever saw someone like, oh, well, if you ever saw someone like me and I'm not even a a Democrat, but Hugh Hewitt is clearly a Republican, uh, you know, so it just won't happen. You won't see an Ed Schultz. You won't see me. And by the way, he referenced Jeff Zucker uh, in that comment and said, where is the, the liberal counterpoint to the Hugh Hewitt's? Uh, asking questions at a, at a debate. Jeff Zucker is the head of CNN. And uh, yeah, you had a uh, Well, just clearly, I think that in this case, CNN is using Hugh Hewitt as a human shield. 
essentially preventing the right wingers from attacking CNN for their coverage because yeah. well look we have we have a right winger right here oh, yeah, so, so he's a human shield so we couldn't possibly be in the tank you know they used to call it CNN the Clinton News Network I suspect that's what they're going to start doing again it doesn't matter how they are not the Clinton News Network, how they are not liberal, the liberal media, uh, how they definitely lean right, as this episode underscores again. The, the right wing is going to pretend and tell all their chump stooges, suckers, and patsies who buy into all the nonsense that, uh, oh, don't believe a word the liberal media says, only believe us. Everyone else is liberal. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to hit that very quickly because uh, it underscores this is why it's important who run who runs the news media, who owns your media outlets, who owns it, who runs it, all of which brings us back to that mystery in Las Vegas that I mentioned. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back and reveal the answer to that mystery with Salvatore Calalori of Media Matters. Straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Boy, indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, wow, uh, a really bizarre story <clears throat> that has uh, been unfolding in Nevada. Uh, as I detailed on yesterday's program in our post-debate coverage of the CNN GOP debate this week in Las Vegas at billionaire GOP megafunder Sheldon Adelson's Venetian Hotel and Casino, uh, Adelson, or Adelson, I should say, Adelson and his wife Miriam were the single biggest outside spenders on the 2012 presidential election. The uh, GOP primary that year went on and on for much longer than it might have otherwise, thanks to Adelson shelling out millions to Newt Gingrich during that primary in order to keep Rick Santorum, who Adelson hated for some reason, from being able to compete against Mitt Romney. Make sense? All right. In all, it doesn't matter. In all, the uh, as the uh, Demos organization notes, the uh, global casino baron Adelson and his wife shelled out some $91.8 million, almost $100 million to Republicans in 2012. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but uh, that's just about 0.37% of their personal worth. In other words... That uh, nearly $100 million that they donated to Republicans that year, that's the equivalent of you or me as just average Americans giving just $285 
to one of the two major parties. So it would take, as Demos notes, some 322,000 American families donating $285 each in order to match the amount that the Adelsons gave on their own in 2012. So, you know, it seems like a lot of money, but really it's it's $285 is all they gave, that $100 million that they actually gave back in 2012. Well, over the past week, as I said, there's been this bizarre mystery brewing in Nevada, in Las Vegas specifically, about who the hell bought the Las Vegas Review-Journal, the largest newspaper in the state of Nevada. It's the largest newspaper in Las Vegas, uh, which also makes it the largest in, in the entire state, because other than uh, Vegas, Nevada's pretty sparsely populated. So the big paper in Vegas is the big paper for the state. Well, uh, who bought it? Who bought that Las Vegas Review-Journal about a week ago for $140 million dollars? Uh, we did not know until today, as reported by the Las Vegas Review-Journal itself, who their reporters did not even know who had purchased the paper. Uh, they had reported the Las Vegas Review-Journal was purchased last week by News and Media Capital Group, LLC, a newly formed Delaware, domic uh, Del Delaware domiciled company backed by, quote, undisclosed financial backers with expertise in the media industry. News and, manager, news and media manager Michael Schroeder had declined to disclose the company's investors, as has Review Journal publisher Jason Taylor. Now, remember, this is the Review Journal itself reporting this, trying to figure out who now owns them. News and media paid $140 million for the newspaper and its sister publications, Around $38 million more than New Media Investment Group paid in March for all of Stevens Media LLC, a national chain of eight daily newspapers that included the Review Journal. As a Delaware LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, News and Media is not required to list its owners in any public document. So they paid this huge inflated price, $38 million more than the previous group had paid for this same paper and a whole bunch of others back in March, but they wouldn't disclose who they were. The Vegas Review Journal goes on to note the inflated purchase price has fueled speculation and denials surrounding the newspaper's new owners, much of which has centered on Adelson. Sheldon Adelson, the Republican Party mega donor, pledging $100 million in donations to GOP candidates in the 2012 cycle. He is also actively involved in Israeli politics, they note. Well, now Las Vegas Review Journal, through their excellent reporting, has been able to figure out who actually owns them. Reporting today, uh, the uh, Review Journal says the son-in-law, the son-in-law of billionaire casino owner Sheldon Adelson, Adelson arranged the $140 million purchase of the Las Vegas Review Journal on Adelson's behalf, according to sources on Wednesday. Patrick Dumont, who is listed on the website of the Las Vegas Sands Corporation as the company's senior vice president of finance and strategy, put together the deal at the behest of of his father-in-law, Sheldon Adelson, the chairman and CEO of uh, Las Vegas Sands Corp. Dumont, a 41-year-old from New York in 2009, married Sivan Ashorn, a daughter of Adelson's wife, Dr. Miriam Adelson, from a previous marriage. 
Uh, Sivan, or Sivan, I don't know, Sivan Ashur and Dumont runs the Israel paper Hayom, Israel Hayom, which is owned by the casino mogul as well. And that paper is regarded by many, frankly, to be little more than a tool for the uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his Likud party. Another source familiar with the deal, and it's, I, I'm still amazed, they have to go through this this is the own. This is the same paper reporting, trying to talk to sources to figure out who owns them. Another source familiar with the deal said Sheldon Adelson, fifteenth on the Forbes 400 list of billionaires with a net worth of 24.5 billion, funded the transaction. Even though Adelson uh, told CNN on Tuesday night that he has quote no personal interest in the Review Journal's new owner. Really? Well, that appears to be a lie. Fortune magazine on Wednesday cited multiple sources familiar with the situation, reporting that Adelson was the newspaper's, quote, primary buyer. And today in the Vegas uh, uh, Review Journal, the company issued a statement saying we are proud to announce that the Adelson family has purchased the Las Vegas Review Journal through a wholly owned fund as both a financial investment as well as an investment in the future of the Vegas Las Vegas community. Uh, Boy, okay, here to talk about all of this and why it's so troubling, at least according to Eric Hananoki over at Media Matters, is Salvatore Calalori of Media Matters. He's the program director for Media Matters state media team. Uh, Sal Calalori, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thank you for having me on. Uh, Really appreciate it. Uh, This is this is so strange. I want to run through uh, some of uh, uh, what what you guys cited over at Media Matters as four reasons that the Adelson purchase is troubling. Uh, I suspect y'all could have come up with even more, but let's walk through with what you guys are citing as your major concerns for a start. Uh, and then we'll go through a number of other questions I have about this uh, bizarre situation. So uh, the first point that you note, uh, well, A, that Adelson says, I don't like journalism. That's kind of troubling on its own. But then you right. talk about uh, Adelson as a GOP Mega donor. Why is it disturbing for a GOP mega donor to own the uh, the largest newspaper in Nevada? Well, as we've seen with other uh, mega donors who have purchased newspapers, those newspapers tend to take a spin in favor of the um, you know owner's perspective. Um, so we've seen this a couple of times with the Hanshutz family who owns the Oklahoman, um, and also there was a mega donor uh, in San Diego who bought the UT San Diego, well, the San Diego Union Tribune, and then renamed it UT San Diego. Mm-hmm. Both of those papers ended up taking on the stances of their owners. Um, the Las Vegas Review Journal was actually a very conservative, um, at least editorial board, going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed to shy away from foreign policy, and in terms of domestic policy, had you know a, a pretty standard um, stance. Um, with this, you know, it's not really clear what way or what influence Adelson's going to have on uh, his newspaper. Um, but like you said, in you know, sort of the talk up to this, um, the other newspapers that he owns have very, very distinct stances that are very much in line with him. And owning the biggest newspaper in the state gives him a major mouthpiece going into um, not only the 2016 election, um, but you know, with, with the big um, Senate election coming up in Nevada, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to use his newspaper to throw his weight around. And, you know, I mean, depending on how aggressive he wants to get with it, um, you know, 
the coverage of candidates could really be significantly impacted. And Nevada is a very, very important swing state, not only in the general election, but also in, as you mentioned, in those primaries coming up, the presidential primaries next year. Basically, uh, both the it's Iowa and then New Hampshire for both Republicans and Democrats. And then the third state on the list is Nevada, the Nevada caucus for the Democrats. Uh, the Republicans go down to South Carolina for their third one, but then they come back to Nevada for the uh, uh, for their, their their fourth contest. So it's uh, Nevada is number three for Democrats, number four for uh, Republicans. Uh, what happens in uh, in Vegas, as they say, doesn't just stay in Vegas. In this case, it's uh, very key to the Republican primary on I'm sorry to the presidential primary on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democratic. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at it, you know, he has pretty much said he's in the tank for Rubio. We, we write this in the piece. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when something like that happens and when you see somebody who's already, um, you know, picked a candidate and now they, you know, run a newspaper, um, I can only imagine the sort of stuff that's going to come out of there that's going to either be pro-Rubio or significantly attacking the other Republican candidates. Um, and clearly, you know, Adelson is a, is a GOP donor primarily. Um, and so, you know, some of the stuff that might come out of the paper again attack. Democrats, um, it's just not going to be fair. And I think that's the point here is, you know, when you read the media, you expect a level of fairness, you, you know, expect a level of accuracy. Um, and, you know, given his track record and his history and his donating, um, not a lot of people are not really sure that there's going to be some fairness and equity uh, going on at the paper with him at the helm. Now, I, and I want to talk about that in a little bit, actually, because obviously there's a history of, um, well, let, let's do it now, actually, before we get to the other, I know there's uh, three or four other things that you guys listed, but, uh, w you know, when you mention uh, the political angle and the expectation of fairness by a newspaper, well, do do we really have that fairness? I mean, we've got a long history, certainly in this country, of, you know, yellow journalism, as, as they used to call it. Uh, you see William Randolph Hearst's empire, uh, of course, now Rupert Murdoch and his empire. I mean, is this purchase really any more disturbing than Rupert Murdoch buying and then, you know, largely ruining the Wall Street Journal, for example? Well, I think in some cases it actually is because, I mean, you know, prior to today, uh, Adelson could have potentially, well, at least he tried to go under the radar for a significant period of time um, and maybe divorce himself from this so that even though he purchased the paper and would potentially be using it as his own personal paper, um, you know, he didn't want his name associated with it in this way. Otherwise, you wouldn't go through all the steps that he went through to do that. You would just purchase the paper. So I think it almost shows a bit of a nefarious um, sort of motive here. Um, and, you know, and when it comes to paper, fairness, uh, at the end of the day, the editorial board is allowed to do what the editorial board wants to do. Um, you know, I mean, in media matters, we expect at least accuracy, but you can have a conservative perspective, and we understand that. Um, but the real concern, I think, it comes when you look at reporting, um, depending on hirings and firings, the way that the reporting works. And, you know, that's what I was trying to say in the opening a little bit, too, is that um, the reporting at the Las Vegas U Journal, um, you know, hasn't been terrible. Uh, and so, I guess, you know, we'll see as we go on here, if it starts to slant, if there is pressure from above, and I think the American people should have the perspective um, or the, you know, sort of the, the idea that uh, media should be accurate and should be fair. Um, you know, we have a lot of people in media now who don't actually 
do that, but at the same you time, think? I think that should be an ex- well, I know, but it should be the expectation. But then again, that's why we're here, right? Is because media matters there to, to correct the misinformation yeah. in the media. So I guess we would be out of jobs if everything was all accurate. <laughs> well, fair, that's right? true. That, that's true. Uh, so th- this is obviously good for media matters, I guess. Uh, yes, it is in some ways. I mean, you know, self-interestedly, I actually, you know, I've been following Las Vegas Review Journal for quite some time now. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just going to increase my workload a little bit here. Yeah, apparently. Uh, all right. Well, now uh, the, the second point that Media Matters raised has to do with Adelson's business practices. And this is something that uh, occurs to me that, frankly, this could be as much of a reason for buying the paper for Adelson as anything else. He has a lot of very disturbing business dealings in uh, both in Nevada uh, and uh, in, in China specifically, where he's the owner of the, I think it's the world's largest casino in Macau, and there are questions about his involvement with, with, uh, w- w- with high-level Chinese organized crime groups out there. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, a couple of reports uh, have come out about his shady business dealings. Um, he does have issues already in the United States of America. I actually personally find the Macau one pretty interesting because mm-hmm. um, he apparently took about $700,000 um, and tried to bribe a legislator, calling it uh, legal fees. Um, and uh, A Chinese you know, a, a Chinese legislat- legislator? Yeah, yeah, okay. a Macau legislator. Sorry, gotcha. yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, this you know has turned into sort of like his mo he always seems to be involved in these uh these scandals nothing ever seems to always add up 100% um and like you say he can also use the paper as a mouthpiece to do that bidding um if bad reports come out about him in one paper he can use the Las Vegas Review Journal to sort of combat those. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it is just like we don't understand what he is going to do. Um, you know, using his past papers as precedents, um, it seems like that is, you know, sort of his MO is, is, is using it to further his bidding. Um, and I think here this is, a, you know, another uh, example of things that he can potentially do. Um, uh, you know, to, to, to bolster his own profile. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the national media, I think, um, has been attacked a good bit based on, you know, some of the decisions he's made, the things that he said, um, you know, and I, and I think that that, you know, it's just another opportunity for him to have a mouthpiece. I, I think as troubling in one sense as him having a mouthpiece to give his point of view on, on you know, whatever, uh, also the idea that he could uh, keep the paper from saying certain things, particularly about him. Uh, In the uh, the previous segment before the break, I talked about this uh, situation in Ohio, in Bowling Green, where the the editor of that paper was published because seemingly she wanted to write an anti-NRA editorial. She didn't run it, uh, actually, because the publisher said no. But then she showed it to her uh, her staff members, and simply for that, she was fired. So publishers and owners uh, can hold a lot of weight at these newspapers, and specifically at the um, uh, Review Journal, they report today that Adelson has twice filed lawsuits over comments about him that appeared in Las Vegas-based publications. They write that both of those lawsuits were eventually dismissed, but not before one action actually bankrupted a Las Vegas Review-Journal columnist by the name of John L. Smith, who had written about Adelson in a book. Uh, is, is, is there just as much reason to believe here that he might want to buy the largest paper in Nevada to keep them from reporting on him? 
Absolutely. Well, I guess as the old adage goes, if you can't beat them, buy them. Uh, so in this case, he's certainly done that. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the way that the reporting was done, um, just to figure out that he was the owner, mm-hmm. I mean, with the opportunity for him to be at the helm and then to start, you know, taking over and, and making sure that reporters are doing um, his bidding, um, the kind of dogged investigative reporters that, that were essential in figuring out that he was the owner might be the first on the chopping block, right? Because those are the kind of people he doesn't want snooping around, sure. especially if there's disgruntled employees when they have the kind of resources that they have um, and at least the ability to you know, do some of this stuff um, already. So I, I definitely think that there's a concern there that he could be um, trying to silence uh, you know, the paper in a way. And again, like, to, to keep it in frame, this is the biggest paper in Nevada. So when you're silencing members of this paper, you're silencing a very large voice um, and, and, you know, some of the, the best, most astute political reporters um, in the state. Um, so, you know, he, you know, I mean, sometimes in California or Washington, D.C. or New York, we forget that Nevada is a very, very small place comparatively. Yeah, yeah it is. And don't forget about the, the idea of self-censorship by journalists who work at the paper who may now be, you know, even if they don't tell them, hey, don't write about uh, Adelson. But, uh, you know, people who may be concerned about their job, why do I need to go into this piece that uh, conflicts with the owner's interest? Let me just write about something else. And you end up with this self-censorship at this very powerful paper. OK, uh, very quickly. Uh, he, apparently, Adelson is also a great big uh, Islamophobe. He is indeed, yes. Uh, he has said things like, uh, not all Islamists are terrorists, are terrorists, but all terrorists are Islamists. Um, he's talked about how the Muslims want to kill 100% of the Jews. Um, he has talked about uh, the fact that there's no Palestinian alive who wasn't raised on a curriculum of hatred and hostility towards the Jews. Um, and he has uh, reportedly supported an anti-Muslim film called Obsession. Um, you know, and I think given the political climate today and the way that some of our media outlets are already describing um, Islam, describing Muslims in America, uh, giving, you know, again, handing the keys over to Adelson and, and allowing his paper to, again, potentially become a mouthpiece piece for this sort of thing, um, you know, should put, the, should put some fear in the American public as, as people who want objective journalism. Mm. Um, and it's unclear, you know, kind of what he's going to be able to do with the paper. But if it is, again, like in, in the way that he's taken on his other papers, I think that there might be some scary outcomes. There, uh, all, all terrorists are Islamists, as he said. That may come as a surprise to the people of Colorado Springs, uh, who uh, saw their uh, Planned Parenthood shot up. Uh, about just over a week ago, I guess, at this point, uh, by someone who is decidedly uh, not a Muslim, but is a Christianist, a Christian terrorist, uh, or the folks out at the church shooting in in Charleston earlier this year, South Carolina, uh, and on and on it goes, 150 cases of hate crimes just since San Bernardino out here in uh, Southern California alone, hate crimes, uh, and threats and so forth against uh, 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 Muslims out here. All right, Adelson is committed to crushing labor unions to dust. Well, that's disturbing in a town like in a big union town like Las Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, so one of the things that we write about in the piece is a story uh, who uh, was from a 1999 uh, culinary workers, uh, you know, protest. Um, they stood out front of one of his casinos and, uh, you know, were protesting the fact that he is so terrible on unions. Um, he tried to get the cops to start making arrests. The cops obviously were not going to do that because that was ridiculous, and probably many of them are also union members, but 
Russia and tell Adolf in that. Right. And uh, apparently one of the officials in the union at the time was telling a story, and uh, these security guards um, kept trying to criticize him, saying he was on public property, and that if he didn't move, he was going to be put under citizen's arrest. Um, and it happened, you know, this sort of happened over and over and over again, and that actually prompted... Um, Rep. John Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, who is a civil rights hero, yep. um, who was in town for the rally, saying that the the incident reminded him of living in the South during Jim Crow. Mm. Um, so again, you know, that's that's just scary. That his 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 use of anti-union tactics actually goes down to making someone who was in uh, the civil rights movement and was injured during the civil rights mm-hmm. movement fear again in the same way. Um, and that, that I think should say something about his tactics. We talked a little bit about the, I'm speaking with uh, Sal Calalori of uh, Media Matters for America. We talked a little bit about other, uh, you know, wealthy political uh, families and billionaires who own newspapers uh, and so forth and media outlets. Is this any more troubling? As Because uh, I'm trying to gauge how disturbed I should or shouldn't be by this. Is the, uh, Well, first, do you know, does Adelson have any... Um, uh, radio uh, or TV interests, uh, public air, you know, does he own any of our public airwaves? And is this any more troubling, for example, than right-wing corporations like Mitt Romney's Bain Capital buying up Clear Channel, which is now called iHeartMedia, uh, which, uh, you know, basically he took over the majority of the nation's public airwaves just before he ran, uh, he ran for president. That was disturbing. Uh, so, how do you see this here? Is is Adelson involved in our in our public airwaves, and is it any more troubling than that control that right wing media, frankly, has over millions, hundreds of millions of Americans every day? Yeah, I'm actually not a hundred percent sure of if uh, if Adelson has any other uh, media interests um, in terms of television and airwaves. And you know, again, he may looking at this incident, which happened to be highly publicized. Um, there's a potential that he might have bought up smaller companies and corporations, uh, you know, using a or smaller uh, media entities um, using, uh, you know go-between corporations like this, and that's actually a kind of a pattern that happens where, um, you know, a lot of shell corporations will open up, big donors who don't want their names associated will open through that, and then they will start to sort of manage newspapers um, and, uh, you know, radio and television outlets um, without actually having to disclose. Um, I think in this case, he thought he was going to get away with it, and he got caught. Um, so, you know, I, and I think anytime anybody purchases a paper or, or a media outlet, you have to... Um, be skeptical. You know, obviously at Media Matters, we're always skeptical of, mm-hmm. of pretty much anything that goes on in media. Um, but I think in this case, it's, you know, it shouldn't be just you're going to judge the person based on um, their, their worth or millionaires, billionaires, and things like that. But looking at the actions that they've taken before, if they are not first-time media buyers, um, and, and also when, when these media entities do start getting rolling under their leadership, um, holding them accountable, um, the scary part is, is that people don't know. Right, and if it wasn't for the fact that that you know, Las Vegas Review Journal really tried to expose its own owner, which yes. again, as you pointed out, is ridiculous. It's bizarre. Um, yeah, we might not know, and, and and if we don't know, and readers don't know, and things start happening, and the paper starts changing, and viewpoints are are said, um, there's a huge lack of disclosure, and I think that lack of disclosure. Um, plays into, you know, a lot of the things that we see in mainstream media, people going on television, not disclosing their ties, not disclosing their funding, and a lot of that, um, you know, plays a role in, in, in objective journalism. Um, 
And, you know, the, the way the media works in this country, I think people do have the expectation or the hope at the very least that media is going to be fair and accurate. And when you don't know the biases behind the owners, behind the publishers, um, I think that, that that really hurts the American people's ability to trust media. And in many ways, they just feel it's become another politicized entity. Um, and we already know how the, you know, the, the politicized entities in this country are faring in the polls, which mm. is, say, pretty low. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, Sal, the Adelson family put out this statement in the Review Journal today after, you know, alongside this uh, really long, lengthy, uh, well-reported piece trying to figure out who bought the newspaper they go ahead and put out a statement saying, uh, yeah, we did it. Uh, they write, uh, we understand the desire of hardworking staff at the RJ and others in the community to know the identity of the paper's new owners. And it was always our intention to publicly announce our ownership of the RJ this week with each of the Republican candidates for president and the national media descending on Las Vegas for the year's final debate. We did not want to announce we did not want an announcement to distract from the important role Nevada continues to play in the 2016 presidential election. Our motivation for purchasing the RJ is simple. We believe in this community and we want to make Las Vegas an even greater place to live. Now, uh, A, do you buy that explanation that they uh, didn't want to distract from the uh, from the debate? And B, is there any history that you're aware of of this sort of secretly buying up a huge uh, media outlet. I mean, it just seems so bizarre to even imagine that they thought they could actually get away with it. That just doesn't seem possible. Right. I mean, given uh, Adelson and his family's history, uh, no, I clearly don't believe them. Um, but, you know, I think part of it is uh, that the fact that this really has ever never actually happened in this way before that I'm aware of. I mean, you know, in a lot of instances, most people want to proclaim on the top of the hills that they've bought media, right? Sure. And for them, it's like a big, proud thing. Yeah. And a lot of the other media entities that, you know, we discussed earlier, you are able to know who those owners are because they are very, very forward about their purchases mm -hmm. and their properties, right? Um so I think it's just a really odd situation, and that's why I think so many people are still um, trying to wrap their heads around it. Um, clearly, it had nothing to do with the debate. I mean, if you were worried about the, what is it, 15th Republican debate, I mean, you could have announced a couple of days later. I mean, there's so many other things going on here at play that, and the multiple days of waiting and, and literally having the paper that you just purchased try and investigate you, um, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of the professional journalist societies, you know, I was just reading an article earlier about the Society of Professional Journalists and American Society of News Editors um, were pressuring the owners to go public because, again, you know, their point is journalism is about transparency. And uh, when you get rid of the transparency in journalism, you are hurting the American people and the reader's ability to know what is going on. Um, so I don't, I don't really trust them, but I can tell you that we'll be watching and we'll be reading. And, um, you know, if this paper continues to do what some of Adelson's other properties have done, I think, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be making sure that... Um, they're held accountable for their actions, and especially now they're outed, and we can actually put, uh, you know, a, a face to this faceless corporation. Uh, you know, I think that there's definitely going to be some opportunities for people to start really getting in on the paper and making sure that they're that they're upholding some journalistic standards. And it's a 
scary face in more ways than one. Salvatore <laughs> Calalori, a program director for Media Matters State Media Team. Uh, thank you for bringing some uh, some much needed clarity to this uh, bizarre mystery that is is still a bit of a mystery. But we will rely on you over at Media Matters to keep your eyes on the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, to see if they begin the steep decline that many of us fear. Uh, thank you, Sal. Really appreciate you coming by uh, today. And uh, uh, just to uh, make Fox News crazy, happy holidays, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me on, and same to you. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast, including the Green News Report, right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of melting going on this holiday season. Oh, yeah. If the weather reports is correct. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi Doyen, I introduced you uh, on our last thrilling episode before the uh, uh, our coverage of the GOP debate this week. And uh, I introduced you, said hello. And then I don't know if we heard from you for the rest of the program. Yeah, I don't think but, so. I think you guys, you guys had it very well covered. Well, yeah, we, we did in that, uh, of course, Heather Digby Parton was great. Hal Sparks was great. If you missed our analysis, go back and download it at bradblog.com. But the other reason was because uh, there, there were little or no environmental issues that came up in the Republican debate. This, yeah. And, and of course, that's not the only thing you talk about, but uh, we like to talk about uh, the debates and the green coverage with you. And in this case, well, there wasn't much to talk about it. So it was all saved for our latest green news report. The biggest problem this world has today is not President Obama with global warming, which is inconceivable. This is what he's saying. Republicans hold another presidential primary debate on national security, but skip right over energy and climate change. House Republicans lift oil export ban. 90% of disasters are caused by extreme weather. Plus, November 2015 was the hottest November on record. Well, that's getting disturbingly predictable. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We need to take an offensive approach by using our energy. Well, that would be offensive, Governor Huckabee. Our energy, the one weapon we have. Our energy is the one weapon we have? Really? This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, just three days after nearly 200 governments from around the world adopted an historic agreement in Paris to finally take action on climate change, the GOP holds a debate and no one mentions that largest worldwide agreement ever. Yeah, it was really remarkable. You'd think they would cover this major international agreement in a debate about international relations. Yeah, but especially since it has to do with national security. That debate, hosted by CNN on Tuesday in Las Vegas, was indeed focused on foreign policy and national security. But CNN moderators asked zero questions on climate change, energy, or even the Paris Agreement. Now, in the undercard debate, 
former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee brought it up himself. We ought to be drilling every bit of oil, getting all the coal out. We need to be going after our natural gas and biofuels and become the energy exporter to the world. We need to take an offensive approach by using our energy, the one weapon we have. The president thinks that climate change is the number one enemy. I think people bombing us is a bigger enemy than the temperature change over several hundred years. Never mind that we have infinite energy coming from the sky and that the U.S. is already a leader in exporting new clean energy technology. What does Mike Huckabee want us to do? Pollute them to death? Apparently. Ohio Governor John Kasich ridiculed the landmark Paris Agreement and the world's focus on the ex existential threat of climate change impacts on human civilization. And when I see they have a climate conference over in Paris, they should have been talking about destroying ISIS because they are involved in virtually every country, you know, across this world. Oh, I love that. Let's criticize Paris for not being tough enough on terror. Billionaire Donald Trump disagrees with both Kasich and Huckabee, however. The biggest problem this world has today is not President Obama with global warming, which is inconceivable. This is what he's saying. The biggest problem we have today is nuclear, nuclear proliferation, and having some maniac, having some madman go out and get a nuclear weapon. A madman, a maniac, going out and getting a nuclear weapon? Is that an argument against voting for Donald Trump? I guess so. (laughs) And also keep in mind that the Defense Department called climate change a national security threat in a report issued just in July. Polls show that two-thirds of Americans support U.S. action on climate change. So it's really curious why the CNN moderators chose to ignore those facts and ignore the landmark Paris Agreement. Because this is CNN. Meanwhile, during the debate, Congress reached a deal to fund the government through September, and that includes a provision long sought by the oil industry to end the 40-year-old ban on exporting U.S. crude oil. The ban, which has been in place since the Arab oil embargo of the 1970s. In exchange for lifting the oil export ban, Democrats got a five-year extension on tax credits for the wind and solar industries. Now, while that tax credit is crucial for the renewable energy industry, by the way, the oil industry's tax breaks are permanent and have been in place for 100 years. So renewables have to go in every couple of years and beg for help. Yes. Meanwhile, the government picks winners and losers by choosing to subsidize oil, coal, and natural gas permanently. Finally, the world just had its hottest November ever recorded globally. Oh, don't tell the Republicans. They say it's getting colder. (laughs) Well, that's according to NASA, which also says that 2015 is virtually locked in to be the hottest year on record. And speaking of national security, a new United Nations report finds that 90 percent of major disasters around the world are caused by extreme weather. And the United States is in the top five countries with the highest number of disasters. Well, when people die from disasters, apparently that is not a national security threat. That's just, hey, that's life. For much more on all of the stories we covered today and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 
You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm Well, so November was the hottest uh, November on record. Right. D- uh, October before it was the hottest October on record. Yep. And uh, 2015 on track to be the hottest year oh, yeah, ever, ever, ever. It, unless something crazy, and I hope it does something crazy doesn't happen <laughs> in December, that, uh, yeah, there's no way that it can't be the hottest year on record. Well, last year, remember, the, the polar vortex was pushed down from the Arctic down, uh, and the only place really that was cold all winter was the Northeast, where the American media happened to be and where Congress is, and they were able to say, well, see, that's evidence. It's freezing here. There's, clearly, there's... Yeah, remember the snow in Buffalo, the snowpocalypse in Buffalo, how they had like 20 feet yeah. or Something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they used that, and a senator, what's his name? What's his dumb, uh, came on the Senate floor with oh, the- Oh, James Inhofe <laughs> yes, your friend of Oklahoma. James came and said, look, it's a snowball. So obviously there, there is no global warming. Of course, they were in the only place that was cold across the entire globe was right there in the Northeast. Well, now things are different as December is shaping up to be the warmest December on record, even in- the Northeast. Uh, Miles Grant over at FAIR writes that much of the East Coast and Midwest have seen record-breaking December warmth. Through December 12, nearly 700 warm records have been set, according to the National Centers for Environmental Information. A series of cities broke records over the weekend from Mississippi to Wisconsin to New York. On Saturday, Cleveland shattered its high temperature records by 7 degrees. And then on Sunday, Philadelphia broke its record by 6 degrees. And Dubuque, Iowa, 943 miles to the west of Philly, broke its record by 5 degrees. On Monday, Buffalo hit an incredible 71 degrees. 71 degrees in Buffalo, New York. I know, it smashed the old record by something like nearly 10 degrees. Well, yeah, actually uh, destroying the old record of 64. So it was, yeah, 7 degrees. Uh, The extended warm spell has left Buffalo with no snow to date, breaking the previous record for latest snow of December 3 that dates back to the 1800s. Buffalo usually sees its first measurable snow by November 8, but there is still no snow in long-range forecast for Buffalo. The cycle has become even more, uh, it has has even become self-sustaining. Without snow on the ground, the feeble December sun can warm things up much more efficiently, reports Eric Holdhouse over at Slate. Miles Grant says it's too early to determine December's place in the record books, but 2015 is on pace to be the warmest year on record. October marked the sixth consecutive month of global, of, uh, sixth consecutive month of monthly global temperature record uh, being broken, and was also the greatest departure from average for any month in the 1,630 months of record-keeping, according to Noah. Buckle up. Yep, buckle up. So that was October, then November, and now December. At least it's warm in the Northeast. I hope they're enjoying it. I hope that makes the media. And, uh, oh, your friend Senator Jim Inhofe noticed that, uh, oh, hey, Houston, we've got a problem here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to Salvatore Calalori of Media Matters for America. Check out their work at mediamatters.org. Until we meet again, you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. You can drop me email, bradcast at bradblog.com. 
And you can download any and all of our episodes for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.